What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Niners Nation podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrera, flying solo with you today, but don't worry, we still have a ton of stuff we want to get to. Uh, before we get into everything, as always, want to remind you, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Niners Nation Podcast Network. You'll get this show. You'll get every single show that we do. How about this review from Meadow McCoy, who says, I listen to a lot of 49ers podcasts, and I'm a big fan of the Niners Nation pods. Every single one. Keep it up, guys. Don't worry. We will. Again, thank you. We love all your reviews. Please keep them coming. A couple different things we want to get into on today's show Uh, Tim Kawakami had an article defending Jimmy Garoppolo that I want to respond to, but don't worry, we're not going to do that first. I know a lot of you guys are tired of the quarterback conversation. I still think it's worth having because it's the most important position in all of sports, but there's other stuff we can talk about, and I want to get to other stuff first, and that is kind of a look at some of the 49ers free agents. I saw a column on ESPN.com from Nick Wagoner. He wrote it, I think, last week, but I didn't really have time to get to it with all the craziness of Super Week and all that stuff. So I would just want to get into some of the 49ers free agents. I'll give you my thoughts on them and sort of how the team should be thinking about them. Uh, And then there was a poll on NinersNation.com about least favorite coaches since the year 2000. Uh, And I basically cannot see a poll anywhere without responding. So you're going to get my thoughts on that as well. But let's get into some of the free agent stuff here. Just a couple of things to keep in mind when it comes to the Niners free agents and sort of how they should be approaching free agency. Because I think sometimes we lose our focus and we focus on the things that aren't really as important as we think. So the first thing I want to mention is there could be some good news for the 49ers in terms of how much money they have to spend on guys. I saw this from Pro Football Talk who posted that Jabari Young of CNBC recently reported that the new TV deals for the league could be finalized before they set the cap for next year, which could be good because if the new TV deals are in place, that means that some of the money from those deals could be shifted to pump up the salary cap next year above the expected figure of $180 million. So that could be helpful, obviously, not only to the 49ers, but to every single team. They may actually have a higher cap, which would give everybody more money to spend. Now, in theory, that sounds good, right? Because I'm sure your first thought is, well, that's great. The 49ers can use more money to bring back some of the 40 free agents they have. But I don't know that that should necessarily be your thinking. And here's what I mean when I say we kind of lose focus. The goal is isn't to bring back all of the 49ers free agents. That's not the goal. That only makes you as good as they were in 2020, which, as you know, wasn't very good. The goal is to improve. That's what you should be focused on. That is what you need to hope for as a fan. So you don't really want to bring everybody back, do you? Because that's is that really improving? The guys you want to bring back are the guys that you think the elevator is going up for, right? Because they're free agents, which means you're going to have to pay the market rate. You're going to have to compete with every other team for their services. And even if they only have one other offer, you still have to beat that offer. And for certain guys, it's just not going to be worth it. If you're going to pay the market rate on these guys, they can't produce the way they did in 2020. They have to produce better. If you're giving them more money, you have to then get more production out of them. Otherwise, that becomes a bad contract. And you can't have a ton of bad contracts, obviously, if you're trying to win a Super Bowl. 
So that should be what your thinking is going in. Not we need to bring everybody back. It's we need to bring back the players we think are on their way up and also spend that money on free agents that might then make the team better. Free agents that will produce at a higher level than the guys we had in those positions last year. So just keep that in mind as you consider who you want the team to bring back and and you react to news of whether it's restructurings or new deals or whatever the case may be for the 49ers. By the way, speaking of restructuring, there is a cool piece on NinersNation.com about two contracts the 49ers can restructure to gain a little more cap room, one on each side of the ball. And if you're tired of quarterback talk, don't worry, because neither one is Jimmy Garoppolo. So just saying you may want to check that out on NinersNation.com. So, I have taken a look at some of the 49ers' biggest free agents, and I have sort of divided them up into different categories. The first category is number one priority, absolutely must-have guys. There's only one guy in the category, but that is the first tier that I'm sort of ranking these guys in. The second one is bring them back if the price is right. There's a lot of guys that fall into that category. And the third category is thanks but no thanks, don't want you regardless of the number. So let's dive into this, and I'll sort of give you my thoughts on all these guys. First is number one priority, must have, got to get it done, Trent Williams. He's a stud at a really important position for the 49ers, obviously. He knows the system, and he's worked with Lake and Tomlinson before, obviously, which I think is important because if you look at the 49ers offensive line and how it functions, when it's at its best, when they are rolling, They're sort of like the Rockettes. I've heard Brian Baldinger talk about them as if they were the Rockettes because they're in lockstep. Everybody is almost doing the exact same thing at the exact same time, and it's a beautiful thing to see when it works. The 49ers gash people on the ground, but you can't get to that level of coordination unless you have experience playing with one another, unless you know how the guy next to you is going to react when maybe the defense shifts right before the snap or somebody does something you don't expect. You need that continuity, that familiarity there. So I think bringing back Trent Williams with Lake and Tomlinson is a big plus for the 49ers. Now, obviously, he's not going to be cheap, but he's also the best left tackle in the league, potentially, and it's something that the 49ers should definitely look into because I think bringing him back not only makes them better, I think it makes the whole offensive line better. I will say, however, there is life after Trent Williams, so to speak. And I say that because he has expressed that he knows how valuable he is. He has said, basically, there's never been a franchise left tackle that's hit the open market. So he knows that he's going to command a lot of money. If he is determined to get absolute top dollar and just go wherever it takes and Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. He claims that he isn't, but a lot of guys claim a lot of things. We'll see what he actually does. If he decides, hey, this team's giving me the most money, I'm gone. There's an upside to that. I don't want to say that's a good thing because that's not the case, but there's an upside to that. The upside being whoever they get to replace him is not going to cost as much money as it would to re-sign him. So they would have more money to spend on other guys. Now, again, there will be a dip in play from your left tackle. That's almost guaranteed. But I'm just trying to show you the silver lining. That's all I'm saying. If you could get an average left tackle in there and boost up some other parts of the team, maybe center, maybe the right side, right guard, perhaps, that would also make the line better. 
as good as they'd be with Trent Williams? I don't know. But again, the object is to make your team as good as it can be. And there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. So that is the number one guy for the 49ers. He's the number one priority. We'll see how it plays out. We'll see how quickly it plays out because that's also a factor as well. You know, these moves are not made in a vacuum. Every signing, every trade, every move that the 49ers make affects other moves they can make. You know, if if they can't come to an agreement with Trent Williams right away, that kind of hamstrings them because they don't know how much money they're going to have to play with for everything else they want to do. So ideally, you are working with Trent Williams and you're trying to hammer out something now so that when the new league year happens, bam, you, you know right away, okay, he's either in or even if he's out, just get the answer right away. You know, sometimes it's a lot like booking guests for shows. When I used to produce radio shows, you'd send out a bunch of asks and then you have to wait for people to respond to you. And the frustrating thing is like, hey, if you can't do it, just tell me and I'll deal with it. I'll move on. I'll book somebody else. I'll call somebody else. I'll, you know, I'll put the contingency plans into motion here. But if I don't know, if you're just leaving me hanging, that's the worst thing in the world for me. I would much rather have the certainty of a decision than the uncertainty of things just being left up in the air. I can't deal with uncertainty. Good or bad, I can react and move on. But when I don't know, that's sort of the hardest thing of all. Now, let's get to some of the other categories here. The next category is bring them back if the price is right. And like I said, there's a lot of guys that fall into this category. But that makes sense, right? I mean, of course... If you could get guys at your price, there'd be a lot of guys you would want back because the 49ers do have a roster of talented players. The first two people that I want to talk about in this category, and I kind of grouped them together because they play the same position, and that's Jason Verrett and Kaywan Williams. The 49ers obviously have a need at cornerback. In fact, the whole secondary is very much in flux. The interesting thing with these two guys is they're kind of mirror images. And the reason I say bring them back if the price is right, as opposed to got to have these guys back is for opposite reasons. Jason Verrett, his skill is unquestioned. He's amazing. As we saw last year, he was one of the best cornerbacks in the entire league. Forget on the 49ers. But his injury history is so prohibitive that you can't break the bank for him because you just can't rely on him to show up week after week. Last year was his first full season in forever. I think maybe ever. Kaywon Williams, you can... He's been banged up, but he's played through most of it, so you can sort of depend on him to be on the field, but he's just not as good as Jason Verrett or anybody else. His level of play has not risen to the point where you'd be willing to break the bank for him, and I think he's going to have significant competition because I really think he's a guy that Robert Sala is going to want to take with him to sort of establish the culture and teach the secondary in New York how that defense works. Sala has spoken multiple times about how much Kaywon's play improves everybody around him. So that's, I think, a guy he's going to target and the Jets have money to spend. You know, there are some times where guys are willing to overspend because of what they see as the impact that a potential player can have. The 49ers did it. I mean, they brought Brian Hoyer when Kyle Shanahan was just coming over. They brought guys with them to teach the system to the other guys so they're willing to overpay a little bit. And I think the same thing applies with Salah and Kaywon Williams to the Jets. But... If they're interested in coming back, maybe they, you know, maybe K1 says, I don't want to go with the Jets and struggle. You know, I think the Niners got a good thing. It would be awesome to bring him back because he's a really good player. He has a clearly defined role in San Francisco where he can make an impact. And if they could get him, that would be a huge boost. I don't think they're going to be able to, but that's why I put him in the category of 
if he wants to come back at this number, you'd love to have him. The other thing, too, to think of is that the 49ers clearly do not value the secondary as much as they do the defensive line. They've said over and over again, and their actions have reflected, that they prioritize line play as how to build your team. So I think they think if we're going to invest anywhere, we invest on the line and put our resources in there, and then whatever's left over we'll use on this to try and make the secondary as good as it can be. But the line play will boost that as well. So I don't think they're going to break the bank for those guys. That's why I put them in the category of if the price is right, because they are going to have a number on those guys based on the position that they play, and they are not going to go over it because that is against their organizational philosophy. Speaking of line play, the next two guys on the list are on the defensive line, and that would be DJ Jones and Kerry Hyder. Both of these guys are good, not great. You know, if they're your starters, you're going to have trouble rushing the passer. But if they're backups, you're in great shape, like really good shape, because you're bringing those guys in who are very talented against starters who may be tired. Like that would be a great thing for the 49ers. Like I said, the team does prioritize defensive line play, but they may also know that part of the reason those guys looked so good last year is because of the coaching that the Niners have. Maybe they know that the coaching sort of inflated their value to a point where it doesn't make sense for the Niners to spend that much money to bring them back because they're not as good as they looked. And I think it's a safe bet, and maybe this is crazy, but with Salah leaving and taking some of the coaches with them and D'Amico Ryans in his first year as defensive coordinator, I'm not sure that the Niners' defense is going to be even as good as it was last year. In fact, I think it's safe to say we can assume that the level of play from the whole defense is probably going to be lower than it was last year. So if that's the case, you really don't want to break the bank to bring back Hyder and Jones. Let's stick with the defensive line play, and let's get to Solomon Thomas. And I think this is really interesting because I know, I know your first reaction is going to be, Oh, Solomon Thomas, get the hell out of here. You cost us one of these great quarterbacks. You stink. was a disaster of a pick. I think he was just named like the 49ers' worst draft pick in the past 20 years or something like that. I get it. I get your dislike of Solomon Thomas. But take a step back. Take a deep breath and just look at it objectively. Stop looking at him as someone who failed to live up to the number three pick in the NFL draft. If you do that, he's always going to be a failure. But if you just look at him as a solid defensive lineman, he's okay. He's not horrible. He's okay. And when you're talking about whether or not you want to resign him, he's not going to cost you that much money. You know who he is. He's coming off an injury, so he's probably not going to have a huge market. You need solid defensive linemen because you need a rotation. That's how you're building your defense. If he wants to come back, At a reasonable number, the 49ers should absolutely bring him back. He's going to be surrounded by good players. He could be cheap. And again, he'll just be a solid defensive guy in the middle of your defense. And you need those guys. So I think there's a little bit of bias when it comes to Solomon Thomas because of everything he represents. He's the opportunity cost of not getting Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And that will always sting forever, and it should. But eventually... You have to let the guy just have his own career. And you're not going to be paying him top dollar again. At your price, only at your price, I think it's a good move to bring him back. 
couple of more guys in this secondary, and maybe I should have put them with the others, but these are the notes I took, so I'm going out of order. Jaquiski Tart. He's probably going to be gone, but it would be a solid, solid move for the 49ers to bring him back because that's what he is. He's just a solid starter. He doesn't make impact plays. I said it at the beginning of last year, and I'll say it now again. That's not what he does, but he also doesn't allow impact plays. And, you know, Bill Belichick always has that expression, do your job, do your job. Tart is like the definition of the do your job guy. In this defense, the biggest thing is do not allow explosive plays, and he doesn't for the most part. Some, once in a while, yeah, he's not an elite safety, but he's just a solid dude. And you can't have superstars at every position. I know we like to as fans, but it's just not possible. You need guys that are just solid dudes. Part of having a good team is establishing the floor of your roster. And the way you do that is stock your team at the non-superstar positions with as many really good players as you can. And that's what Tart is. He's not a liability. And that's really all you want. Again, if he's your worst player, you're in pretty good shape. Now, I know Marcel Harris is also there, but I think Marcel Harris could be a liability at times. And that's what you absolutely don't want. If you don't have any liabilities on your team, you're going to be in really good shape. So I think Tart will probably get paid from somebody. But man, if they could bring him back, I would love it. Next up, Akello Witherspoon. And this is interesting to me because with Witherspoon, I feel like whether or not you bring him back is all about how well you feel like you can massage his confidence, if that makes sense. When he's confident, he can play as good as anybody. He's long, he's rangy, he can make plays and just generally harass the hell out of receivers, especially bigger receivers, which the 49ers are going to have to deal with because of DeAndre Hopkins and DK Metcalf. Like, he has the body to be able to compete with those guys physically. But man, when he gets down on himself, he can also be awful. He can be a liability, as we saw in the playoff game against the Vikings in 2019. So they have to figure that out with him. If they're confident that they can keep him sort of in the right frame of mind, they should absolutely bring him back because of how good he can produce. But if they aren't, then you have to let him go because, again, you're trying to establish the floor of your roster and his bad is really bad. So I don't know if they can do that. I'm trying to decide, did Richard Sherman help that? Did he not help it? I'm sure it was probably both at different times because Sherm can, Sherm can let you know when you stink, for sure. Do they have a coach or a player on the roster that can always kind of look out for him and keep him focused and positive and upbeat? If they don't, then you have to let him go. It's just that simple because you can't depend on him. All right, let's go over to a couple of offensive guys. Uh, The first and most obvious is Juice. I've said it many times. Fullback is like first-class plane tickets. If you have the money and you can afford it, great. Go all in because it's awesome. It's really great to have. But if you have any money problems at all, the first thing that you drop is the first-class plane tickets and is the fullback. And I know Kyle Shanahan does a lot of cool stuff with the fullback, but you know what? He can also evolve this offense without the fullback if they don't want to spend any money at that position. I mean, the Packers and the Rams run basically the same offense and never use a fullback. Or they can find somebody, either a free agent or 
late, late, late in the draft to bring in that they think can do kind of the same things. But there's no reason to pay Kyle Juszczyk anything close than market rate because he just doesn't provide enough value to the offense to justify that. Here's one offer to Kyle Juszczyk. It's a real quick negotiation. Kyle, we love you. We're close to a Super Bowl. We would love to have you back. Here's the number. Are you in or are you out? Maybe you give him a day to think about it, but then when that day is up, if he says no or you don't hear from him, you move on and you don't look back. It's that simple. Uh, you know, Don't get fooled by those long passes we see to Kyle Juszczyk whenever the 49ers are trying to jumpstart their offense. There's nothing special about him that lets him get open for those plays. It's Kyle scheming it up. They could easily replace him with somebody else next year doing the exact same thing. Trust me. And I think they know that. So that's my two cents on Kyle Juszczyk. The other one I think is worth a pause. And that's Jordan Reed, because I think he's a really good compliment to George Kittle. Kittle is a bruiser. He's got a little speed. He can run after the catch. He benefits a lot from the scheming of Kyle Shanahan, because Kittle's strength is not route running and getting open. Kyle gets Kittle open, and then Kittle just absolutely maximizes what Kyle Shanahan gets him with the ball in his hands after the catch. Jordan Reed is kind of the opposite. Jordan Reed doesn't need help getting open. He's an incredible route runner, especially for a tight end. That is a great compliment to George Kittle because what I think the 49ers could do is use Kittle to get up and down the field and then bring in Jordan Reed in the red zone where you can really maximize his ability to get open and use him as a threat in the red zone, as a real weapon. And if you do that, you can limit his exposure because the number one question with Reed, of course, is injuries, whether it's concussion or otherwise. But that could be a real package for you in the red zone. And Kyle Shanahan hasn't always excelled in that area of the field. So the more things, the more tricks the 49ers have in their bag inside the 20s, that's only going to help. The other thing is he didn't really get a lot of time to play with George Kittle last year. I think he could really teach Kittle a lot about route running and make Kittle a much better player, especially maybe later in Kittle's career as some of his athleticism starts to fade away. He can use sort of the veteran savvy and the the knowledge that Jordan Reed has to get open. So that would be a feather in the Niners cap to bring Jordan Reed back. And I don't know necessarily that he's looking to cash in elsewhere. He may be. I don't know. But he may also be like, look, I know my career is winding down and I want to get a ring before the end of this thing. So he may stick around at the 49ers number, which I think would be awesome. I think they still look for another tight end besides him, probably late in the draft. But. I would love it if they brought him back because I really think they could do some interesting and special things in certain parts of the field in certain situations with Jordan Reed. Okay, that is my list of the prices Right guys. Now we get to the easy part, the no thanks guys. It's pretty obvious. Um, there's only one real position I want to get to, but most of these are no thanks for either age, cost, or production. Richard Sherman is obvious. Production and age and cost. He, he checks all the boxes why you'd want to get rid of him. Thanks, Richard. You were a great signing. Way better than I thought you were going to be. I was way off about Richard Sherman. There is nobody in this 49ers regime I was more wrong about than Richard Sherman. When they signed him, I said, oh, he's old. He's coming off an Achilles injury. He's never going to be able to get it done. This is a terrible signing. And you know what? For basically all of his tenure with the 49ers, except for parts of last year, Richard Sherman was fantastic. So they nailed that. I was totally wrong. But now the time has come for you to move on. Thank you for everything. 
We appreciate it. We almost got it done with you. But now your level of play and your cost does not justify what it's going to cost to keep you. So adios. In fact, I wouldn't even be that upset if the 49ers had to play against Richard Sherman next year because I think that he is a liability at times in coverage. The other guys are pretty obvious. Tevin Coleman, no, thank you. I think you should have been gone a long time ago. Jet McKinnon has already said he's not going to be back, which is just fine because he can't run anymore. Adios, Jet McKinnon. Trent Taylor, I thought you were going to be really good, Trent. When, when Jimmy first got there and he was hitting you or all these option routes and plays over the middle and you were gaining first downs, I loved it. And I love that you're just like a little dude who's hard to tackle, plays with heart, but you know what? You're just not that good and you can't stay healthy. Goodbye. The interesting thing for me is at center because you've got Tom Compton who plays on the interior offensive line and Ben Garland. I think the 49ers have to upgrade at this spot. Center is a huge part of Kyle Shanahan's offensive line. They help with the protections. And again, I talked about the line as the Rockettes. Everybody needs to be in lockstep. The center absolutely helps make that happen before the snap on every play. The 49ers were on their third string center last year with Hironis Grasso, who's also a free agent. Adios, by the way. They have to improve at this spot. It's a, it's a non-sexy move that the 49ers can make. And not many people, I think, are going to realize if it pays off. But I think the 49ers coaches and players know how important it is. Kyle certainly does because he almost always looks to upgrade it wherever he goes. When he was with Atlanta, one of the first moves they made was to bring in Alex Mack, who instantly upgraded their offensive line. And one of the first moves they made in San Francisco was the exact same thing with Weston Richburg. He just hasn't been able to stay healthy. When he was healthy, they were much, much improved on the offensive line. I don't think Richburg is going to be back. I don't think Ben Garland should be back. I don't think Tom Compton should be back. So that's it. That is sort of my evaluation of the free agent that the 49ers have. Those are the categories that I put them into. I would love to hear from you. If you disagree, drop it in the review section of iTunes. You can hit me up on Twitter, at StatsOnFire. Let me know. I like to say I'm on Twitter for the arguments. I would love to talk about this with you, so please feel free to hit me up. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get into the Tim Kawakami article defending Jimmy Garoppolo and the poll on NinersNation.com about the worst 49ers head coach in the last 20 years. I wish I could say that was an easy decision. Unfortunately, there is a lot of competition for that title. Welcome back to the Niners Nation podcast. Okay, now I tried to avoid it for most of the episode, but look, I am going to talk a little bit of quarterbacks. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. Don't blame me. Blame Tim Kawakami. He started it. He has an article in The Athletic now. It's called In Defense of Jimmy Garoppolo. He wrote it on Valentine's Day, I believe, which is hilarious because I do think that Jimmy is the Valentine of many, many, many 49ers fans. Now, he starts the article acknowledging all the issues with Jimmy Garoppolo that we've all brought up that you've heard time and time again. Level of play, injury history, all that stuff. He gets all that out of the way early. But he says a couple of things in here that really kind of frustrate me. The first thing he starts with is record. He even acknowledges it. He says, quote, you didn't think the first reason would be that he's 24 or 9 as a 49ers starter. Ha! Because it's always the top reason. But here's where he loses me, right? He says, I keep reading that quarterback record is not a good stat. The 49ers have many good players, especially on defense. Nobody's denying that. And nobody sane would say that being substantially better than Hoyer, Beathard, and Mullins qualifies a QB for greatness. Okay, great. I wish you there. But then he says, however, quarterback record is actually a great stat when you're comparing quarterbacks on the same team. 
It does mean something significant that the 49ers are quite a reliably good team, specifically when Garoppolo is playing quarterback, and not at all when he isn't. That just contradicts what you said. You can't say in one sentence, being better than Hoyard and Bethard and Mullins doesn't qualify you for greatness, but then say, QB record is a good stat when you compare it to the guys on the roster. Like, those two things directly conflict with one another. If your only argument for keeping Jimmy Garoppolo is the other guys on the team stink, that's a bad argument. That's a criticism of you. That means you have to upgrade the level of quarterback across the roster. That doesn't mean you should just keep the guy you have. Like, that's a ridiculous argument. By that definition, then, the Jaguars shouldn't draft Trevor Lawrence because Gardner Minshew is better than anybody else they have on the roster, right? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Of course they should draft Trevor Lawrence. They need a quarterback. Here's another part of the article I disagreed with. Tim writes, The 49ers basically think that Mullins and Bethard are decent to solid NFL quarterbacks. That's what he writes. Then he says, at some point, you either have to ride with Shanahan and Lynch's quarterback evaluations or decide you're fully out on that. I'll remain in there with Shanahan and Lynch to a point. Again, Tim, you're contradicting yourself. You can't say you either have to be in or out on their evaluations and then say, well, I'm in, but only to a point. Again, that contradicts yourself. If you're in, you're in. Not to a point, you're in all the way. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. And I can't believe I just quoted a musical that I haven't even seen. Whether you want Jimmy or don't want Jimmy, you've got to make a solid argument for it. And to me, this article is just full of contradictions and it drives me nuts. Another thing he said I disagreed with. You can remember the passes Garoppolo missed against Kansas City in the fourth quarter of Super Bowl 54. It's fair also, though, for Shanahan and Lynch to remember just about everything else that season, too. Here's the point, Tim. The point is... It's all about the passes he missed in the Super Bowl because the other good plays that he made during the season could have been made by other quarterbacks, just not the other quarterbacks on the 49ers roster. I think that's where people lose it because you immediately flip to, well, when Mothered and Bethard and all those guys were in there, they couldn't make those plays. That's right. They couldn't, but they are not league average quarterbacks. That's the difference. That's what the people who want to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo are saying. All the good things he does can be done by other good quarterback or average quarterbacks, just not the other quarterbacks on the 49ers roster. That's why people are so desperate to get rid of them and make a move. People defending Jimmy always compare him to the other guys on the roster. That ain't going to cut it. Now, this is the most controversial part of the article. Quote, just because Garoppolo has missed 23 games in the last three seasons due to injury, doesn't mean he will always be injured. That is true, but you really want to bank on that? That's the question. Do you really want to say that doesn't mean he'll always be hurt? And again, it's another time Tim contradicts himself. The best predictor of future injury, he writes, is past injury. Then in the next paragraph, he says there's no guarantee that any quarterback will remain healthy, including several of the ones rumored to be with the 49ers. So, uh, like, <laughs> again, what are you really saying here? You just said the best predictor of future injury is past injury, but you're also saying, well, there's no guarantee anybody else stays healthy. Well, how about you go out and get a quarterback whose past injury history is a lot better than Jimmy's? past injury history. How about that? Like, the contradictions with a lot of people who are defending Jimmy Garoppolo are present in this article, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. 
And one more thing I took issue with, because while I think it's a good point for Tim, I don't think it strengthens his argument. And that is that Garoppolo can take the heat, according to Kawakami. He brushes off criticism and he deals with hard coaching from Kyle Shanahan, which is totally true. Shanahan is hard on quarterbacks behind the scenes. He doesn't do it publicly, but behind the scenes, he's very hard on quarterbacks. And Garoppolo has seemingly shown an ability to deal with that. He's never complained. He's never criticized coaches. He's he's just dealt with it. He seems to be kind of an unflappable guy. My argument would be, how about you get a quarterback that doesn't have to take heat from Kyle Shanahan because he actually plays well and runs the offense the way it's supposed to be run? See, that, again, that is the the contradiction here. Yes, he can take the heat, but why do we want a quarterback that has to take heat? How about we get a quarterback that doesn't need such hard coaching because most of the time he does the right thing and gets the damn ball in the damn end zone? So it was just another kind of contradictory statement that I don't understand. I feel like the Jimmy Garoppolo defenders are constantly twisting themselves into a pretzel. It's like a feedback loop of he was either injured, he's not as bad as you think, he was almost the MVP of the Super Bowl. Like, it's just a loop of those three things over and over again, and it drives me nuts. He was hurt, but he's going to be healthy next year. But if he's not healthy next year, don't criticize his bad play because he's hurt. That's kind of an impenetrable shield there. That's a pretty sweet situation. And remember, and this is something I've said in previous episodes, and I've seen other people tweet it out too, this is the offseason where Shanahan and Lynch are going to have to make their quarterback choice. They never really had to do it because of how everything turned out with the Niners. You know, they had Hoyer, but he was just the guy they brought in because they needed a placeholder. They thought they were going to get Cousins. That was going to be their choice. Then Garoppolo fell into their laps. They did that deal, which I think most teams would have done. And they haven't really had to make a quarterback choice. Well, now they have because they had a chance to replace Garoppolo going into last year with Tom Brady. They chose not to do that, but I don't think that people could have got on them for that because you didn't think that 43-year-old Tom Brady was going to throw 40 touchdowns. I mean, nobody would have thought that. It's never been done in the history of the league. So I can't criticize the 49ers for not wanting to roll those dice. But now... That's not the case. This is the choice offseason for the Niners. Even if they stick with Jimmy, that's their choice because it'll be the second straight year that they could have replaced him and chose not to. So we'll find out how the tenures of Shanahan and Lynch are going to go because you can't really define a tenure for a coach or a GM until their quarterback choice is made. Well, this is it now. There's no more honeymoon. There's no more free lunch. There's no more, oh, well, we didn't expect this to happen, so we kind of had to do it. No, no. This is the choice, and it's going to be a huge factor in what happens with this team probably for the next two to five years, to be honest with you. And last thing here as we wrap this up, I saw this article on NinersNation.com, and like I said before, I can't see a poll without chiming in. Who is your least favorite 49ers head coach since 2000? And my God, they've had some horrible ones. Let me, let me read the candidates for you, so in case you've forgotten. Dennis Erickson, who was 9 and 32 in his tenure with the team. Mike Nolan, 18 and 37. Mike Singletary, 18 and 22. Jim Tom Sula, 6 and 11. Chip Kelly, 2 and 14. And I think it's like too obvious to go with Chip Kelly, even though he has the worst record. Like, yeah, he was not good, but the team was awful when Chip Kelly was there. They didn't set him up for success at all. He had no players. So you combine no players with no adjustments from Chip Kelly, and that's how you get 2-14. and 14. But to me, 
He's not my least favorite 49ers head coach since 2000. It's got to be Jim Tom Sula, which isn't totally fair to him because I think whoever they brought in after Jim Harbaugh was not going to be a, you know, a favorite of the fans. But at the same time, he had a roster that was still pretty good, certainly better than the roster that Kyle Shanahan inherited after the disaster that was Chip Kelly. He had a decent roster, and but he was just so bad. He was embarrassing as a head coach. Like, literally, there was that press conference where you thought he might have farted. It seems like he farted. The whole first introductory press conference, he could barely put a sentence together. It was so bad. Don't forget, Matt Barrows, after it was over, turned to Matt Mayoko and said, well, I'll see you here next year. Like, they could tell from jump that not only was getting rid of Harbaugh a bad move, but you compounded it with bringing in this guy who had no business being an NFL head coach, had never been a coordinator before, and you made him the head guy. He was way, way over his skis, and it went, predictably, terrible. So I think I have to give him the edge there. Like I said, there's a lot of competition. I mean, there's an argument to be made for all these guys. Mike Singletary wasn't very good, but you know what? He fixed Vernon Davis, so he he gets credit for that. Vernon Davis was a big part of some big playoff runs for the 49ers, and Mike Singletary fixed him. He was not really working out, not fulfilling his potential until Singletary ran him off the field. So for that alone, he can't be my least favorite head coach since 2000. Uh, Mike Nolan is up there because he just totally destroyed the confidence of Alex Smith and undermined Alex Smith. I know like some people like him because he wore the suit and he was kind of like a throwback guy, but like you can't do that to your team's most important position. You can't mismanage it so badly like Mike Nolan did. I mean, you basically tried to start a war in the locker room between the you know players and Alex Smith by accusing him of not being tough. That That's no bueno for me. I'm sorry. Dennis Erickson, I have to say, I don't totally remember as clearly as some of the other guys because it was also the, so long ago. But he took over for Steve Mariucci, who had a pretty good run with the 49ers. Like, don't forget, when Mariucci was the head coach, we were still sort of in this afterglow of the team of the 80s and being really, really good in the 90s. Like, the dynasty, quote-unquote, was still sort of in effect. So there was high expectations, even though they fired Mariucci. I mean, Mooch did go 10-6 and his last year in San Francisco in 2002. It's not as if he was 2-14. and So they fire him, and they bring in Dennis Erickson, and let's just say it was bad. I mean, you go from 10-6 and to 7-9. and Then the next year, you go to 2-14. and Like, that is hideous. And that was it for Dennis Erickson. That was the entire tenure. So he took over a team that had 10 wins and then promptly did not finish 500 either year. But I don't also remember anything that was particularly egregious with him. Like, there's no Mike Nolan versus Alex Smith. There's no Jim Tomasula, can't put two words together. There's no, like, hardcore, embarrassing moment with Dennis Erickson that I can remember off the top of my head. So to me, that's why I can't put him as my least favorite. I got to give it to Jimmy Tomasula, especially because he's never going to be a head coach again, anywhere. Like, say what you want about Chip Kelly. He got another head coaching job. Yeah, it was in college and he hasn't been very good, but somebody gave him another head coaching position. Nobody, nobody is going to give Jim Tom Sula another head coaching position. Even Mike Nolan has a better chance to get another head coaching shot, and he was a disaster also. So there you have it. Go on NinersNation.com, vote for yourself, let us know in the comments, or again, you can tweet me at StatsOnFire who you think is your least favorite head coach from the past 20 years. 
All right, everybody, that is going to do it for this show. Again, please rate, review, subscribe, keep them coming. We do love them. I want to remind you that tomorrow will be another episode of the Niners Nation podcast with Niner Nate and Leo Luna. They've been rolling out a string of really good guests. So if you've missed any other episodes, please go back and check it out. Last week, they had Brad Graham to talk about some of the offensive line issues, really breaking it down with a lot of good perspectives there. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. And as always, go Niners. <laughs>